Hello, hello, everybody. I trust that you guys are in slightly better spirits than you were this time last week when you were filled with dread and impending doom at the seemingly inevitable failure of the Democratic Party to beat a TV reality game show host. Well, it looks like Biden has squeaked out a victory. I am recording this Saturday evening, Eastern Standard Time. Biden was announced the victor earlier today. I'm about to sit down with Branko Marchetic, who has been on the show quite a bit. You guys know this man. He is a Jacobin staff writer. His book, Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden, out from Jacobin and Verso Books, is well known by now, but it is also, as it turns out, uh, looks like a, a historical roadmap to what we're going to see in a Biden presidency. So I thought, what a better guy in the world right now to talk to about what a Biden presidency might look like than our boy Bronco. So what you're about to hear is going to be a fun chat. It definitely remains to be seen what is going to emerge in the discourse over the coming days before this is released. But uh, be nice to us. We did the best we could. Uh, the discourse machine goes burr. <laughs> the hot take factory goes vroom. So uh, we'll do the best we can to keep up in the meantime. But assuming no uh, earth shattering news drops happen between now and then, this will all be highly relevant. So you guys will enjoy this very much. I know. If you like this and you think it's important, if you think that a left-wing democratic socialist pushback is extraordinarily central to the coming four years, and you should, head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and support this project and other media projects like it. We may be down for the count. The Bernie wave may have crested. The Corbin moment may be yet behind us, but uh, all is not lost. And the fight continues. We need to continue building the socialist media ecosystem. So if you appreciate this message and you want to support it, you want to see more of it in the world, head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and become a patron of DPS today. All right. Enjoy. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother... Like, you know, he measures his own self-worth in terms of, like, his, how he, if he's a winner, right? Not a loser, right? Like, yeah. You know, this is obviously bred into him by, like, a, probably a highly abusive childhood because, you know, oh, yeah. my boy Fred Trump, you know, was not, not an enlightened father, I'm sure. And so, like, now that he was actually a loser, right, it's just, like, yeah. it's got to be psych, like, psychologically that, difficult for this man right. to maintain his composure in front of the cameras. Yeah, that, that's the thing that, like, drives him is, like, not losing yeah. and or not being cocked or whatever and then that like he that is like what has happened to him and it's like that's like the thing that his dad like drilled into him like his entire family yeah it's it's and it's bizarre because he's such a strange psychological profile because he his his drive to not lose is why he like ardently pursues winning this job that he absolutely hates like clearly just makes him miserable like all those, all those photos from uh, from this year. Like, what was that one where he was walking across the White House lawn with his like tie undone, yeah. just looking absolutely miserable, like a like a you know, like someone doing the like five a.m. walk after like a big yeah. night out and like waking yeah. up somewhere weird, you know. Like, I, I think the last time he was genuinely happy, like at the White House, was when he was in that big eighteen wheeler truck and like pretending like he was like in Smokey the Bandit, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> that that was his that was the high point because it really has been like defeat after defeat after defeat for him like he controlled all three uh levers of government couldn't repeal obamacare passed a tax cut and that's about it then he just got smoked during the 2018 elections mm -hmm. the media was very very unfair very unfair to me uh, I gotta say, for a kiwi your your trump is is spot on my friend man it's got to come to an end at this point because I, I, I was gonna say your stride with the with your trump <laughs> accent we we all have to now develop an entirely different uh impression yeah. of a president which is yeah. which is tough because yeah i do feel like i my, my trump has had a stride towards the end of this president but yeah and then and then he gets smoked in 2018 and then you know the rest of this the, that his term has just been kind of nothing just not being able to do all that much but the um, ratings folks the ratings <laughs> yeah, that's right. oh he does terribly in the debates that's right woefully he i mean he could have won re-election and then COVID happened and then that obviously just uh ruin his chances and then he yeah terribly at the debates 
Gets the Nielsen ratings. They're rigged. They're rigged. <laughs> they, they call them fake ratings. Uh, Nine out of ten households were watching. I know it. I heard. My people told me. So people said it. People said it. <laughs> yeah, and, and then now he's lost. And it's it's like it really just it's been a never ending series of like of, of losses for him, which just yeah. must be for him psychically awful. Uh, he's he's a man in his seventies who has never not been able to like either rig the results or if he doesn't rig the results such that he comes out the winner, he rigs the perception of the results so that even though he's a clear loser in his mind and the minds of his like hangers on, he's actually still in charge. He's the boss, right? Yeah. And worse, like he, he's a loser and a loser in the worst way, the most public way, because like everyone, literally everyone in the world has watched him eat basically and uh like and, and like meltdown publicly in, in the wake of it and he's gonna get mocked relentlessly and the worst part is like he was being mocked relentlessly anyway but he always had the his potential re-election to sort of like to re-own the libs and the haters um but now that's gone so which i guess is like the the the, the basis of the theory that he will run again in 2024 that he like has to get his revenge in some way although i would say I would argue, perhaps I'm in the minority right now, but I would argue that he sort of, even in, in his defeat, he has actually in some way has gotten the revenge and has basically kind of shafted the Democrats before uh, in, in, in sort of going out of the White House. Like, even though he's lost, he's kind of stuck them with the bill and like a potential uh, midterm and then re-election defeat. But uh, yeah, I guess we can get uh, into that later on. We'll definitely get into that. So Trump is a big loser, and he lost in front of the American people, and we're pretty pumped about it. So welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Dead Pointed Society, the voice that you are hearing uh, in this fun little warm-up segment. Uh, just um, owning Trump for once, uh, Trump being completely embarrassed and uh, just demolished in, in the course of this victory. He's, he's, he's shitting himself. What, was the, what did the Pennsylvania election officials say? He's got to put on his big boy pants and – and accept defeat. I mean, he's just being ridiculed by like the biggest, softest, you know, losers around and their American flag ties. And yet he, they're just owning Trump, right? It, it's got to be incredibly painful. It's got to be incredibly painful. That voice you're, you're listening to is Branko Marchetich, if you didn't know already. Um, he is the author, of course, of Yesterday's Man, the case against Joe Biden. So, hey, uh, I got to tell you, uh, you know, on live on air here, uh, congrats. You won. You won the presidency. How does it feel? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if it really uh, feels that way, but I mean, I think the the result is, if nothing else, I think there are like some genuine limited uh, victories and bright spots in the whole thing. You know, it's it's a, I think a win for democracy, no matter how like narrow that is. It's you know, t millions of people came out and uh, voted against Trump in the face of him basically outright threatening to steal the election and like you know, uh, moving in a much more authoritarian direction than that last year of his presidency they had previously. Um, and I think, uh, you know, some of these these states that shifted, Georgia and Arizona, that, that is the result of, of sustained grassroots organizing. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with the Biden campaign. Mm, uh, it is entirely, sure. yeah. Yeah, it's entirely up to one, how bad Trump is. Uh, and, and secondly, these, these people on the ground who were organizing people and door knocking and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think also, you know, there's, there's a lot of left victories that happened uh, uh, around, not, not, you know, not democratic victories, left victories around the country, local level and state level, um, and even at the national level. So I think we, uh, we, we you know, that there are some really good bright spots that we should look at uh, when we consider the, the argument of this election. Although, you know, there are also lots of bad things too. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I argued before that this is the best case scenario, along with many others. This is the best case scenario uh, for the left right now, that Biden eked out a victory. He in no way, shape, or form. All of the sentimentality that you're hearing on the on the airwaves today aside, and I should, I should uh, just tell the listeners here, this is not going to drop for a couple of days. It is now Saturday evening in the United States. Um, uh, Sunday for you over there in New Zealand. Uh, but Saturday back here, the news just dropped, uh, what, you know, five, six, seven hours ago that Biden has been declared the victor. Um, so there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of hot takes to emerge in the in the coming days. We're still fresh on this. So if we're I don't know, you know, if we're if we're uh, a slight, you know, an, a fraction of a degree behind the, the hot take cycle, uh, apologies, because this thing is going to move lightning speed in the next few days. It's going to be dizzying. 
Um, so we're just kind of getting some some general reactions. As it stands right now, the Senate has not been called. It looked, you know, the Democrats are going to quite likely stay in charge of the House. No, no doubts there. But the the, the GOP definitely uh, performed uh, far better than than they were expected to have performed. Um, and so, in many ways, a lot of a lot of Republicans right now are maybe privately breathing a, a sigh of relief that it wasn't nearly as bad as they thought it was going to be. They lost this this bumbling oaf of a liability in the Oval Office. And, and, it, and, and in exchange, they got a guy like Joe Biden, who is more more than any up anyone else, perhaps willing, ready, willing and able to extend an olive branch and, and, of course, give up all of his. I almost said principles. Does he have principles? We'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, give up all of his principles at the bargaining table before the negotiations even begin. So, um, you know, you can definitely react to that, but let's, let's peel back. I congratulate you for winning the presidency. And I mean, uh, you did something very bold a couple of years ago. I mean, I've, 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 I've talked to you about this every time I've had you on the show, you embarked on a serious, you know, a monograph length study of, of, of Joe Biden. And at one point it seemed like he was a shoe in at other, other points in the nomination process. It looked like he was a done deal, a senile bumbling hack, um, you know, he, he made good on it and showed that he was far more cogent and, and a far more plucky challenger than many of we Bernie, Bernie types uh, had thought or perhaps hoped. You know, g- give us some reflections on what it's like to, to, to be somewhat vindicated in the sense of like sitting down and, and carving out many, many months of your life to, to write this book about Biden. How is that shaking out for you now? <laughs> Well, I, in many ways, had wished that uh, the book was consigned to irrelevancy uh, as soon as it came out. And that's sort of how it looked when, when the book first came out. And, you know, people people were sort of, I guess, commiserating with me or, you know, kind of telling me, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, you spent all this time doing this book. And, and now it's, there's no there's no point for it. And, I'll, you know, I said to them, no, I don't care. This is great. I, I was hoping that this book would be irrelevant. And then, you know, cruelly, I believe the day after the book actually officially launched, Biden wins South Carolina, and then you have Super Tuesday, and my, and my man comes back, and uh, it, the, you know it's that was uh, frustrating to watch, but you know I think we all kind of came to terms with it after a while that we we were stuck with that guy, and and once um you know coronavirus really took hold, it was kind of like okay, well actually he might he could actually pull this off because whatever his shortfalls. This is colossal economic and health crisis that it, it would be unheard of for the sitting president to, to not be punished for that, especially one who shows month after month of just not even any interest in trying to get the whole thing uh, under control. But yeah, I mean, that sort of gives you an idea of the, the roller coaster ride that I've been on. I mean, I, when I was writing, writing that book in 2019, there were just so many points where it seemed like, like Biden was doomed. And I, and I would be spending you know literally every day hours of my day writing it going what am i doing why am i <laughs> killing myself to try and get this oh, yeah. done before the end of the year and uh uh you know by some twist of fate uh that, that was the right decision to to the chagrin of of probably millions of people uh under under 45 years old i mean i made the argument on the show last time you were on i can't even remember when that was it wasn't too long ago i believe it may have been um sort of either right at or after Bernie's exit from, from the nominee. I'm, I'm not sure. We, you, you were at some point slightly vindicated, I believe, if I – whatever. Guess what? Or listeners will have to go back and see for themselves. But um, I made the argument that win, lose, or draw, this book is an important book because of the way that Biden has had his hand in, in most of like the, the, the pivotal moments in Democratic Party history, Democratic Party policy politicking history uh, since he he sort of came on the scene what in the late 70s early 80s I mean this is a man who has has been at every flashpoint what we on the left would consider like every flashpoint of a declension narrative right <laughs> inside the Democratic Party and here he is in 2020 uh, you know uh, basically all but you know uh, sitting in the Oval Office at this point you know what is his history? I mean, this is a big ass question. I'm just telling you to summarize the book in in uh, you know 90 seconds or less. But what does that history tell us about what what we we, we can expect? Right. Well, we're not going to get a a Bernie Sanders style presidency or or even an Elizabeth Warren style presidency. We're going to get something potentially a little more conservative than the Obama presidency. Maybe about the same, depending on who he stuffs his um his administration with. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some areas, it could even be a little more progressive, just because of the the, the conditions uh, may demand it. 
But you know, I would expect a lot of deal making, especially with the with the Senate now most likely staying in Republican hands. Biden Biden's principle, you asked, you know, what does he have any principles? His his probably overriding commitment, political commitment, is is the idea of, of deal making and bipartisanship. It's a it's a hokey kind of laughable idea when you really think about it in in the American context, because um, you, you, one of the sides, one of the parties is this hard right extremist party that is, you know, basically wants to roll back the entire 20th century. Um, but uh, Biden has always had a firm commitment. He has always said that, you know, you need the two-party system. You need both parties. Uh, you need them to sort of play off each other. And that's how the American system works. And, you know, even at the height of the Democratic primary, when like the electorate, the Democratic electorate was sort of um, had really widened its political imagination and, and was calling for all these various uh, bold proposals. Biden and and the much more combative kind of uh, approach. Biden was still saying then, like, listen, when this is all over, when Trump is out, we are going to be able to make a deal. We're going to be able to sit down with these people. We're going to be able to hammer something out. So I. I would guess that that is going to be, especially with this Congress, uh, the the big the big thing that we're going to see out of the Biden administration. Lots of deals with Mitch McConnell, mm-hmm. um, which, depending on where you stand, uh, could be a really really cool, great thing, or could be a nightmare. Yeah, the political hacks are, are celebrating it. It was a, a headline yesterday, I believe, talking about uh, you know we're, we're looking into the. The, the Joe and Mitch era in the, in the coming four years, that this is going to be a kind of buddy comedy, you know, very different perhaps uh, from the, 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 the buddy comedy of the Obama and Biden years, but uh, similar results, perhaps. A lot of, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You know, uh, we did the best we could. You know, listen here, Jack. Uh, you know, you, you got to let me tell you, let me tell you something about compromise and unity, okay? And I mean, it, it, you couldn't well, craft a better narrative for Biden to sweep in there and 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 push that that unity, right? You're seeing it from all sectors of the media today, from Fox to MSNBC uh, and elsewhere, that he's going to push this unity narrative that we've got to get together and hold hands and kumbaya. And uh, and by the way, what that means is, you know, shoving all all ten fingers in the eyes of of every leftist, you know, politician in, in the caucus. Um, mm. And I think that you know yeah. many, many on the left are already feeling that. And um, is am I am I being overly cynical here? Is that or is that our no? I mean, I, I I was always pretty pessimistic that Biden was going to do the stuff that he was saying he was going to do. If you actually look at Biden's career, and I've written about this before, um, but you know it, it, you can also read it in the book if you if you buy it. Ten ninety nine, uh, I think, on the Jackman website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you read the book and study his career, the, the man is. Uh, He's a liar. There's no other way to put it. He he is, uh, you know, a liar comparable to Donald Trump. Will just outright say things that are not true or things that are disingenuous if they help him in any given moment. We saw that all through 2019 and even 2020, um, uh, and particularly towards the end of that primary, uh, media became suddenly very unwilling to call him out on, on things that he he was saying that were not true. But that's sort of why I, I never took a lot of these promises of, you know, I'm going to be the next FDR fully seriously. Um, you know, I mean, you got you to show me some things, actions. You know, you got to show me, I don't know, personnel appointments. Uh, and, and everything on that front seemed to point to something very different to what he was actually saying. And I think now he has the perfect excuse to uh, renege on all these things that he was promising um, as a kind of way to... To you know, shut the left up and say, "Hey, don't criticize me. Just let me win." He can now say, "Well, you know what? Hey, look, Mitch McConnell controls the the Senate. I can't do any of this stuff. I, I would have loved to, but what what are you going to do?" So yeah, I I'm I think sometimes uh, on the left we can be a little overly cynical and like in a way that that is not even necessarily accurate. I think in this case, some cynicism is um, unfortunately uh, warranted. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Says the man who wrote the book. Uh, I mean, the book is more important now than ever. I mean, it was an interesting book. It was an interesting read uh, when oh. it came out. Uh, but now it's it's uh, it's a bit of a, a playbook, isn't it? I mean, it, there's no reason to believe this man's going to be any different than he was before. And I mean, it, it, it was interesting even that you you raised the, the, the fact that he's a liar. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to forget now, given that we saw Trump on the debate stage just lying through his teeth and throwing a tantrum on, on national television the way that he did. It was disgusting. It was, I mean, in some ways it was kind of terrifying to see our quote commander in chief, the leader of the quote free world, you know, the guy who's responsible for many of the things that determine our fate in this life 
act like such a fucking petulant child on the stage. But let's, I mean, you, you called me back to the days of the plucky days of the Bernie wave. Well, you know, when, when we saw Joe on stage in, in a similar role, right. Lying through his teeth about, you know, various policy stances that he took, various things that he had allegedly championed. And it was just there's bald face lies. And now you know, he's cast in a very different sort of role as the savior of truth and honesty. And, uh, you know, as you rightly point out, I mean, you know, there's time to celebrate the fact that Trump is the fuck out of here. And, and Lord knows I, I gave out a little hoop and holler just like everybody else. But let's not let's not delude ourselves into believing that, that Biden's ha- has a history of, of anything other than, you know, a vague sense of truthiness as uh, yeah. Colbert. As, Th- that's as Colbert. one of the. The, the ironies of his uh, nomination. I mean, I, you know, my, my friend Luke Savage, uh, uh, when I was in, in Toronto, we would uh, talk about this often, which was that uh, it, it was remarkable how in picking Biden, uh, Democrats, particularly older Democrats, had, had chosen their own, you know, kind of older liberal version of Trump. You know, it was it, very much the same message, return to a sort of glorified past. Um, you know, I mean, he... Biden never said make America great again, but that was his message essentially was that Donald Trump had ruined the country and that uh, he was going to take it back to this um, idealistic uh, uh, you know, days gone by when, when there were no problems, when, when America was the leader of the world and everything was perfect. Was Tip was O'Neill com- used to go to lunch with uh, uh, David Duke. I uh, go down <laughs> to uh, McGillicuddy's Deli down there on uh, by 8th Street and uh, – it was civil, and we could talk to each. That's not bad, actually. I was just trying yeah, it on that, there. That actually is pretty good because okay. you've got the the right. modern Biden thing where he just shouts for no reason. Yeah. That was he would do that during okay. the debates. He would just be talking about like, <laughs> you know, the need to like give uh, invest more in education. He'd just be angrily shouting. <laughs> 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 but yeah, so and weird. and so he he lies a lot. Um, you know, much like Trump. Uh, the lies are, of course, a little bit different, and Trump lies way more. Um, but like, it's still uh, striking. Um, they're both obviously kind of they're both very old people, and and they both kind of represent a, a heyday of like an imagined political party. You know, Trump yeah. is kind of this this like George Wallace style right wing caricature from like the the seventies and the and the sixties, and then Biden's kind of like the uh, what you think of when you think of like an, an older uh, liberal politician, maybe from that era, um, and uh, I mean, yeah, we it, it's ultimately like both of these elections in some way, both Trump and Biden, uh, were about restoring something that had been lost instead of yeah. uh, moving to something new and, and changing things enough so that. Uh, people weren't suffering in the United States uh, to the point where they they would you know take a gamble and, and you know whatever crazy extremist uh, happened to, to 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 run for president um, and so uh, we'll see how that turns out uh, with yeah. another four years of that. I think we're gonna I mean we're gonna be in for a real nightmare scenario with with Trump's shenanigans in in the coming month or two but but beyond that we're in for a real letdown I think very very quickly. Um, aside from Biden perhaps having a more enlightened policy when it comes to COVID, we'll see. Uh, that we're all for, definitely remains to be seen. You know, the markets will speak, Bronco. You know, they'll, the markets <laughs> will assert themselves and, of course, limit uh, Biden's ability to, you know, carry out some of these promises. You know, progressives are shouting, Rokan of Biden. Others have, have mentioned you know, that, that um, you know, we need to push a $2,000 uh, subsidy per month for every. American citizen throughout the duration of this crisis. Of course, I think Biden's going to moonwalk away from that in every way, shape, and form mm-hmm. as soon as he takes office. Um, you know, there's there's no reason to believe that this man is going to going to be a beacon of any progressive uh, policies. Uh, and yet, um, the left, in some senses, here is going to come out vindicated. I do think. I think when the the discourse subsides and this idea that uh, the socialists, you know, potentially either cost people the election or threaten to cost people the election, our sort of radical slogans were used against milk toast, wishy washy centrist Democrats in really disingenuous ways. Uh, you know, Abigail Spanberger, who was my representative, by the way, former a- a CIA, to the extent that anyone can be former CIA. 
uh, representative here in central Virginia, um, you know, apparently got on the, one of the Democratic caucus call and, and just started frothing at the mouth over this socialism garbage almost cost her the election. And we got to move away from that. It's toxic. It's poisonous. And if, again, as others have commented, is it anybody? Is it any surprise that a former CIA operative, uh, whose job it was to squash socialism across the world, would be doing the same in, in the domestic mm-hmm. context? Uh, it certainly isn't. But but what we did see was that this is my take: mm-hmm. when Democrats, in some senses, must embrace left wing elements of their coalition as they must. I mean, we all held our fucking nose and pulled a lever for this guy. And that's I mean, you know, if, if anybody's the hero here, as far as I'm concerned. It's it's us, uh, the people who were able to, to vote, the people who did vote, the people who held our fucking noses and, and voted for the lying neoliberal warmonger, part do. But what doesn't work is when you have to embrace that part of your coalition, the sort of Black Lives Matter, AOC squad aspects of your coalition, which you must, because not only are they in, in Congress, but uh, they make up a, a relatively substantial part of your voter base. So you have to embrace them on the one hand, but you don't give any policies to the, to the American people on the other hand. So they're going to call you a socialist. You're going to eat shit for that. But you're not actually offering anything from the democratic socialist platform that might make people look the other way when it comes to that name calling. Because they might say, oh, he's a socialist, but I don't know, man. He's giving me health care and I, I don't fucking have any. <laughs> uh, well, you know, he's a dirty socialist, but, you know, he's promising me a job and I just got laid off at the factory. Uh, you know, and, so, and so what they're doing is they're, they're eating shit for – you know, for, for the socialism kind of narrative in Florida and other places that we saw, but they're not offering up any of the material uh, you know, promises of, of the democratic socialist platform. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just a pure negative loss. Um, what's yeah. Your take on that? Uh, you know, far from th- this is the narrative being made now uh, by, by people who are obviously embarrassed at this result. And we can get into exactly why, why this result, why I think it's so embarrassing, but the, the excuse being made is yes. Oh, it's the left. Of course, which is, a, you know, whenever, whenever they do badly or whenever they look at they're going to do badly, uh, the Democrats, particularly the right, the very right wing ones, the, the CIA and the corporate Democrats will hit the left and say it was their fault. Uh, I think the evidence here shows that if, if Biden had maybe embraced a little more socialism, he may well have done better. What, what do we see in, in poll after poll after poll, not just after the selection, but in, in going into the selection? Uh, most of Trump's uh, support uh, uh, the biggest proportion of those people were concerned about the economy, um, and they went for Trump uh, consistently in polling. People always trusted Trump more on the economy and Biden more on coronavirus. And for a lot of people, clearly the economy ended up being a bigger concern than the coronavirus. Now, uh, you know that is not an inevitability. Um, I think that the reason why. That, that they were able to make this kind of economy, COVID versus the uh, economy, is because the Democrats and, and the Biden campaign in particular did not ever make any sort of economic pitch. They did not ever really foreground uh, the economy in their coronavirus response. I mean, in fact, I would love to hear this. When you think of Biden's uh, coronavirus response program, what, what policies come to mind? What, what what do you think of? I mean, if, if I know what the American people think of. They think of more shutdowns without any economic stimulus. To right. me, it's just like giving uh, Fauci a pat on the back rather than, you know, smearing him from your Twitter feed, right? I mean, that's the, that's the mm-hmm. most concrete thing where, you know, trusting the science, right, you know, uh, that I can think of. And, and we're politicos. And if we can't come up with more sort of promising uh, policies, you know, when we try mm-hmm. to envision what that might be, then what do you think the American people are going to come up with? Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I've asked a number of people that same question, and they all have gone to, back to me with basically some variation. And this is people who, like you and I, yeah. follow this stuff pretty closely. And they've all gone back to me with some version of, uh, I believe in the science, or uh, the mask mandate. That was a big yeah. thing that sort of monopolized coverage for the last week or so, the mask mandate. Okay, And the mask mandate and believing in science, obviously, yes, good policy. But the problem is that people are thinking to themselves, well, how the hell am I going to, yes, that's all good, but how am I going to, you know, put food on the table? Am I going to have a job? Uh, are my kids going to be able to go to school? Um, and the Biden campaign didn't really have a response to that. Uh, they, they, Biden, I've watched Biden in interviews and in, in CNN and elsewhere. Uh, when people ask him about medical bills, you know, saying, I can't cover my medical bills. Um, didn't even talk about his public options sometimes. He just talked about pr- protecting the ACA in court. Right. Um, which is meaningless to, to people. Um, 
here's a really telling example. Uh, when the extended unemployment insurance ran out, uh, in August, Biden put out this emergency housing package, call for an emergency housing package, where you're sort of trying to get ahead of the president and say, uh, you know, we need we need bold action here to, to prevent, protect people. What did he call for? He didn't call for an eviction moratorium, which is what mm. was on everyone's minds, um, a, a policy that he never really championed. He, he would quietly kind of say sometimes that he supported it, um, but it was never something that it was at the forefront of his pitch. Instead, this housing package uh, had three things. Uh, one was extend unemployment insurance, which is good. The other was, quote unquote, greater access to food and nutrition programs, whatever that means. Mm. Uh, and the third was government subsidies for people to hang on to their health insurance. That was it. That was his emergency housing package. A month after that, Trump signed an eviction ban by executive order that uh, it was actually a pretty clever use of executive power that is supposed to last until the very end of the year. To be clear, as the as the months went on, he actually undermined that eviction order and sort of like uh, kind of allowed these loopholes that let landlords continue to evict people. But nonetheless, he did do that, and that was far uh, a far more sweeping use of executive power in a crisis than Obama, for instance, had. Um, had embarked on in 2008. In fact, it was so sweeping that there were Republicans who were not happy about this. They they said, you know, this is Trump is being a socialist, uh, you know, and and if he does this, well, if Trump does this, the Democrat, the next Democrat is going to do something way more extreme. And you know, that gives you an idea of, I think, one, how easily Biden was outflanked by Trump. And Trump wasn't even very good. I mean, imagine if you had a real mm. right wing populist right. in power who who you know. Could, could act in a much more bold way. But I think it also shows you how, instead of marrying the pandemic and coronavirus response, uh, the, the, sorry, the pandemic and the economic response, as people on the left were calling for, you know, people like Sanders and Rashida Tlaib and, and, and Ilan Omar and Maxine Waters were saying, you know, we need to cancel debt. We need to uh, have a stoppage on, on, on debt repayments and mortgage repayments and all, all this stuff. Instead of doing that, Biden didn't do any of that. He just sort of ran on this vague idea of mm -hmm. you know doing a bit of job. And and I also want to mention that, you know, I, I think maybe I suspect part of this was the idea that in nineteen thirty two when Roosevelt had won his huge landslide against Hoover in very similar circumstances, that, you know, the, the story goes that Roosevelt didn't campaign on anything. His New Deal was just a vague bunch of sunny promise, uh, you know, sunny and uh, optimistic kind of uh, uh, pablum. And uh, that uh, Hoover basically just tied his own noose and, and lost. But that's not true. Roosevelt didn't outline every single thing that he would do in the New Deal, but he actually did have some specific policies, enough that Hoover repeatedly uh, referred to him as a, as a red and, and the communist. And Roosevelt won a landslide. You know, could that be why Biden, Biden's refusal to sort of actually advance a Rooseveltian kind of program is that? Could that be part of the reason why he, he just scraped through in a bunch of these states, these key states? Who knows? Uh, I, I think that that has something to do with it. And th there's other factors, but, you know, I, I, I think it would be foolish to believe that that wasn't in some way uh, an issue. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that I'm a little embarrassed of is that I fell a little bit, not completely, but I fell a little bit for this narrative that was being pushed by the same people who were sort of bawling their eyes out on TV, getting a very buzzworthy-esque moment, talking about the Van Jones and, and those types in the world, CNN, MSNBC commentators, the very respectable types, uh, you know, ABC News, uh, who who made an argument, you know, throughout the debates that, well, Biden performed well tonight. And let me tell you why. Because he didn't commit himself to anything and he didn't give, you know, Trump or his opposition anything to run with. And so the idea was that at this point, Biden needs to keep his head down. He needs to sort of run away or ignore uh, the Green New Deal stuff. He needs to run away and or ignore, you know, the socialism stuff. The, the being tied to AOC, being tied to Bernie. What does he say time and time again? Why are you comparing me to these people that I beat? In the primaries, like I beat them, right? You know, being blatant about it, uh, you know, running away from any any promises that he might have offered, uh, any olive branches that he might have offered to his left, or even his party base for that fucking matter. I mean, we're not talking about the far left of his party. We're talking about the, just like the, the Buddha judge heads out there, you know, because the idea was that he he just needs to not fuck up and he'll get to the finish line here.
That yeah. was the that was the the rhetoric coming from the the respectable mainstream media, and and I got to be honest, I fell for it a little bit. I was pushing back a little bit on some of my socialist media comrades out there. <laughs> you know, ah, oh, come on, guys, like I hear you. You want him to push that Green New Deal, but maybe now is not the time to do it. Maybe he keeps his head down and lives to fight another day, takes his five to ten point victory on election night, and then we go home and, and you know and we start over, just like just like you know, same as it ever was. Um, so I even fell for that narrative a little bit. And then clearly, you know, having eked out this victory by by a hair turned out to be complete bullshit once again, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. And and not just, uh, you know, Biden barely winning, but uh, Democrats down ballot just absolutely mm. being annihilated. Um, it, it's hard to overstate how unusual this outcome is. In a recession year, there has never been a case from what I can see, perhaps someone out there can find one, but I, I have looked and I cannot see any example where the governing party in a recession year has gained seats and the party out of power has actually lost seats. Mm. Uh, in, in 1932, there was a massive uh, victory for Democrats all across the board. Um, they took the Senate. They uh, increased their, their House majority. In 1980, the Republicans, they didn't take the House, but they took a bunch of House seats, reduced the Democratic majority, and took the Senate. Um, and, and at that point in 1980, the, the, the um, unemployment rate was, was I think 7.1, 7.2. At this point, it's now like 6.9. So similar economic conditions. In 2008, of course, the, the Democrats increased the House majority and they took the Senate mm-hmm. um, and ended up with a supermajority. Uh, what happened this time? I think what Democrats won two Senate races uh, and then lost every other one. They Most likely looking at uh, yeah forty forty one four or sorry fifty one fifty two forty eight. Uh, yeah, yeah. About. Uh, the Georgia runoffs. Yeah, that that will decide that that will decide whether there'll be a majority. I think uh, it'll be interesting. That maybe they'll pull it off, but it, it will be tough if you looked at some of those numbers. I mean, I think it was uh, in in. The Kelly Loeffler uh, uh, race, there was a second Republican who siphoned something like 20, 20% of the vote away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is that going to go to the case this time around? There's going to be a lot yeah. of money flooding in Georgia, too, as well. I mean, so. Yeah, oh, we'll yeah. See. Oh, yeah. We'll and uh, it's not just there. I mean, it's at the, at the state level. Um, Democrats had this decade long plan because after Republicans won in, in 2010, won a bunch of uh, state houses, they gerrymandered the hell out of. Um, a whole bunch of congressional seats, giving them this, you know, this disproportionate influence in in, in the House for the rest of the decade leading up to now. Democrats, from there on, plan for for ten years, spending tens of millions of dollars to try and reverse that, and this time, you know, retake state houses um, and and be able to either stop Republican gerrymandering or having influence to actually, you know, rewrite these uh, or redraw these maps in ways that were advantageous. The Democrats didn't flip a single state house. The, the only change that, that happened at the state level was that New Hampshire, the two chambers of the state legislature, they flipped, and they flipped to the Republicans. This is apparently uh, the, the least number of partisan changes in the state legislatures uh, in at least 76 years. Uh, it was 1944. So this is a utter failure um, you know, if the Biden campaign just barely managed to win on, on uh, every other level it is a total failure and a total failure to take advantage of these conditions that should have led to a massive, massive wave. And I think, you know, beyond the messaging, I think there are some specific mistakes that the Biden campaign and Democrats made that, that allowed that to happen. And also some things that, that, that Trump did that allowed him to, um, to, to stop that from happening. But we can we can get into that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, infamously uh, during the Obama years with the Democratic Party lost somewhere around a thousand seats na- nationally, that the, the balance of power shifted at state state houses and, and at the national level, federal level, some about a thousand seats. And, and you know, and, and uh, there's a there's a real acknowledgement here that uh, the Democrats need to do better at the state level. Um, and uh, and they, they have just haven't been able to, to turn that around. You know, and, and in large part, it's because I think the, the narrative put forward by the left is more salient now than ever. And it's it's odd that the centrists are spiking the football in this moment. It's fucking I mean, well, is it odd, though? I mean, as as our <laughs> our, our friend and, uh, you know, uh, Connor Kilpatrick has remarked in, in a way that, you know, many others have in the past. But, it's you know, it, for these people, uh, the discourse can't fail. 
it's just we we fail the discourse, right? And the discourse being whatever it is you know that that they put forward in terms of what re, what reality is uh, in, in in the world, and uh, and and reality is absolutely flying in the face of the discourse right now. But uh, mm. but yet this is uh, well just more the, proof the, of of everything they've always said. Yeah, uh, there was a great piece uh, in Jacobin. You know, during <laughs> during a bit of a plug here, but uh, there was a great piece in Jacobin by uh, Amber, Amber Ali Frost and mm. Daniel Bessner, I believe comparing the Democratic Party or more accurately the, the sort of world of consultants, the industry of, of consultants and, and operatives that surround the party to the movie The Producers, you know, which is, uh, if anyone's seen that movie, great, great uh, Mel Brooks film. It's about uh, uh, two financiers, you know, film producers who decide that they uh, will actually make money if they create a, a flop. And so go out of their way to sort of create the worst movie possible, the most sort of the, the, the worst box office poison they can. And, um, you know, I, I don't think they're actually the Democratic operatives are, operatives are sitting there going, hmm, how do we lose this election? Hmm. But the, the fact is that uh, they continually fail and only get rewarded for it. There's, there's no incentive for anyone to do better. There's, there seems to be no uh, ever any reconsideration of how could things be different. As you say, it's a, it's a beautiful, self-fulfilling uh, system that they've created because they run a bad campaign, they choose a bad candidate, uh, it doesn't work, uh, then they blame it on the left and they turn further to the center uh, and eke out an even worse outcome um, and then blame the left again so they can move even further to the right. right. And then if they win, if they happen to win, then they say, oh, well, it's because we moved to the right. Um, and and so hey, that's working. So it's a, it's a wonderful self-justifying uh strategy that they've that they've uh come up with yeah yeah let's let's turn back to to biden you know this man better than most at this point um which is to say better than almost anyone because for a man who spent uh you know decades and decades in the political limelight who does really know joe biden i mean who really does pay attention to who he is and what he represents you know um beyond a couple sound bites here and there and, and which, which sunglasses uh, Barack Obama helped him pick out or in, in, in that uh, eight year buddy comedy. Um, you know, there are going to be a lot of projections about uh, his, his transition team, about his cabinet, about uh, who he may or may not appoint. Um, I suspect that by the time this gets released, you know, we'll have the hot take factory. will have a uh, 48 to 72 additional hours to turn out those kinds of takes, but knowing what you know now and kind of some of the whispers you've heard, what kind of what what you know that 100 day watermark mark that people like to obsess about you know when a, pr- a new president sort of is inaugurated what 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 kind of transition uh, do you see what kind of cabinet what kind of um i mean anything i mean I, I, to me almost this seems like a waste a, a, a waste of a question because we've sort of already you know, we've already implied quite well, explicitly that that you know we don't expect much to change but what it is this, you know, is this going to be more of a whimper than a bang? What do you, what do you foresee? Um, so what kind of cabinet? I mean, uh, we've had some idea, and I think there was actually a political report that came out today that talked about some of the front runners, uh, including Pete Burgage for Veterans Affairs and Susan Rice and um, Michelle Flournoy was one. You know, so basically a return to some of these these Obama-era people. Uh, I know that John Kasich was one that was sort of floated. Whether that actually happens, we'll see. Um, but that would be the kind of thing that, you know, Biden, in, a, in a, an attempt to heal the nation, would, would probably do. I think there's there's a couple of different outcomes. You know, it could be that um, you get uh, a, a kind of, you know, Biden being pushed by some of his more liberal appointees to, to, to really be more ambitious and combative, and you end up getting a, a really strong pushback uh, from the the right um, that basically just, as it did under Obama, launches a scorched earth campaign. Um, I think the the other possibility is, is simply that Biden, in, a, in an attempt to kind of restore this normality that he ran on, that um, many of, not all, but many of his voters are kind of invested in, that he ends up uh, actually just quietly acquiescing to you know whatever mitch mcconnell does and it sort of it gets a lot of praise as well here we go we're back to normal now of course what are, what are those deals going to be if if the obama 
ideas or anything to go by. Those deals will be uh, huge tax cuts to the wealthy. They'll be uh, massive cuts to social programs and, and you know, uh, maybe even certain changes to entitlements uh, that Biden has promised to, you know, he, he would protect during the campaign, but, you know, may not feel um, uh, as committed to uh, under circumstances. Uh, and if that happens, you know, I think this is a very different time from that kind of 2009 to 2013 period. There are, from day one, people on the left, not just the, the radical left, but, you know, progressives are talking about uh, taking the fight to Biden's administration to challenging them. And if they really do try and cut some sort of deal, that lopsided deal with, with McConnell, as, as Biden did so many times under Obama, there could be a really furious pushback on streets and Congress. Um, and, you know, that really undercuts this this promise of, of returning to normality as, as people find out that, hey, electing a guy who sort of seems more or less on, on an aesthetic level, what we used to have, is not necessarily going to return things back to some sort of idealized past. What is Biden's governing ideology, his political economic ideology. Now, we saw Obama, of course, in, in taking office post-economic crisis, post-financial crisis, and he did what felt uh, comfortable to most. And so, you know, that he, he brought in a bunch of former Wall Street execs, a guy like a, a lifelong civil serv servant like Geithner, who, of course, uh, you know, was very cozy with Wall Street, though. Uh, you know, are we, are we, are we going to see a return to that sort of neoliberal finance wing of the Democratic Party in terms of the governing economic ideology. That was very, very prevalent in the first four years of, of the Obama administration. Um, are we going to see a, a new a turn to a kind of new liberal, neoliberal world order? That was something that I uh, projected in, in what I thought would be a, a, a Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, um, four to eight year period. Um is he going to be ambitious in, in that respect or are, is he going to be so sandbagged by his calls for unity that, uh, that he doesn't really leave much of a mark on this presidency at all? Well, uh, he, he himself has given different indications, contradictory ones. You know, he, he's at various times have said, has said that, well, we don't have much room to maneuver here because of um, – uh, the deficit is so huge, and, and his advisor Tick often has said the same thing. Other times, he's he's said, and kind of people around him have said to reporters that you know Biden understands the deficit doesn't matter, and that you know it's it's it, you got to go big or go home. Um, so I think it's going to depend on uh, well several things. I mean, yeah, who he staffs his administration with definitely. Um, Another aspect is, is, is he going to have the Senate? Uh, I, I would guess not, but, you know, there is a slim hope that that could happen. Um, but even, you know, even if that happens, those runoff elections are in January, I believe. So he's going to have his appointees lined up and, and constrained by uh, Republican Congress before that. Um, so, uh, you know, we will see. Uh, I, I think that Trump has expanded the range of possibility enough through his own executive actions, that it, the Biden administration should be able to, um, you know, do some pretty bold stuff on that front. Uh, the question is, will he actually do it? And that, that requires looking into his his soul and what his actual way of thinking right now is. And I, I cannot tell you that I do not know. He 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 it's has. I think. Isn't it? We have no fucking idea what we just what we're getting ourselves into. We're all just sort of <laughs> exactly. breathing a collective sigh of relief that it's not going to be Trump anymore. But he, you know, he, looking forward beyond that, it's just like who knows what's what what he's going to offer up. And and it may have been a deliberate strategy. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, the messaging has been so over, all over the place that it could be could have been a, a deliberate strategy on their part to sort of say something to keep parts of the left kind of optimistic and then also saying other stuff uh, that will, you know, uh, reassure that, that kind of Republican or moderate um, uh, uh, part of the, the electorate that, oh, actually, no, he's not going to do anything. I mean, you know, the guy famously told a bunch of donors in, in 2019, the rich donors, that uh, nothing will fundamentally change if he's president. So, uh, and, you know, it's like, which, which Biden do you believe or disbelieve in this case? Do you, right. you know, disbelieve the guy who is still saying a deficit is going to be a problem or do you, and, and that's the lie, or is it the lie to the donors that, 
uh, actually is not going to do anything. I mean, I will say that this is that it will be a, a remarkable thing if a president or any politician comes in after taking the copious amounts of money that he's received from Wall Street and, and health insurance uh, companies and, and other parts of the corporate sector and then uh, betrays them. I don't think that's ever happened in modern American political history. Uh, so I, you know, it, I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but I, that would be quite, quite the surprise. Yeah. Right. On. I mean, what is, what is Biden's, I mean, again, this may be just a, a moot question or moot point because who, who the fuck knows what is Biden's relationship to Nancy Pelosi? It was also widely reported, at least to Pelosi's credit here. I mean, give credit where it's due because it doesn't come off into Nancy Pelosi from the left for sure. She doesn't earn much from us, but you know, it was, uh, to her credit. When Spanberger, Representative Spanberger, you know, uh, went on her tirade about the, the socialists and socialism inside the party, uh, Pelosi pushed back very gently, um, probably acknowledging her in, the increasing importance of keeping the squad, which is in, increasing its numbers and its uh, influence inside the party, on side. Right? I mean, uh, she recognizes the importance of, of maintaining this uh, this fraught and tenuous coalition inside the, that caucus. Um, is, is Pelosi to Biden's left in that sense? Is she going to be pushing for uh, various uh, st stimulus measures and, and so on? It, Biden, she's, is she going to find Biden to be uh, sort of to her right in, in that respect? Yeah, I, I would definitely say she's to his left. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we have to remember that we're talking about like a, a narrow sliver <laughs> of the political spectrum here. So, yes, she's on his left. She's still way to the right of, you know, where we would, be or like her to be, uh, and, and to write, frankly, a lot of uh, uh, people who probably vote and support her. Uh, but but not even so much in terms of what's in her heart, but what, what her mm. strategic sort of uh, analysis is of this moment and in, in, in how to sort of, you know, uh, in, preserve that majority and, and win back mm. even more of a majority. I mean, I, again, who, who knows what's in her hard and cold, uh, you know, uh, boutique ice cream filled heart. Uh, but but in, in terms of the, the way that I, I think her governing strategy is is uh, one that is going to be pushing against Biden's more um, conservative, mm. you know, uh, reaching across, reach across the aisle sort of uh, leanings. Well, you know, I, I don't know about Pelosi specifically, but I will say that Chuck Schumer, there was a, a report, I think, in the New York Times today where he basically said, you know, I, I recognize that we need to actually really do something big and bold because if we because the stuff that we did after 2009 was not enough and it produced Trump, the next Trump could be worse. That, that's the, that's the uh, point that, that, you know, people on the left uh, have been making for a long time. Bernie Sanders has made that point. And so, you know, hopefully that is him really understanding that and not just sort of saying it, paying lip service to that idea. Um, when we're talking about the House, uh, one thing that I think is going to be crucial is that Actually, the fact that, that Democrats uh, lost a bunch of seats uh, is it potentially actually strengthens the hand of the left because you now have them. I think they have like a nine-seat majority uh, in the House, mm -hmm. which is not not huge. And you know, I'm I'm not going to do the math right here, but you have the squad, which are four people. Um, you have uh, Cory Bush, Jamal Bowman, um, Mondaire Jones. So that's that's seven. Uh, I'm trying to think that, you know, you've got um, potentially a, some other like, progressives. Right. Rokana yeah. And, you know, and some of those others. Yeah, exactly. And you could, you know, there, were, there was talk before this when, when the idea was it was going to be a Biden landslide and there was going to be a, a Senate. Uh, it was an overall congressional majority. Uh, is the progressive caucus going to act uh, like the Tea Party caucus did um, as a sort of like kamikaze uh, force to basically... Um, ruthlessly bargain and, and get what they want. Uh, and th there was some, you know, uh, it was not clear. Uh, there were some people who did not have the appetite for that, but that was a very different time. That was when they thought they were going to expand their house majority and certainly not, not lose it as they have. And so now, um, you know, they don't need as many people to sort of gum up the works and, and frustrate the Biden administration um, if they decide to sort of, you know, hold out and, and, and do that Tea Party thing. So I think that that's something to really, uh, really look at. Let's talk about, uh, you know, someone who's probably um, people are screaming into their smartphones right now. We haven't uh, even raised the name. Vice President elect Kamala Harris. <laughs> I mean, can we all just get it out? OK, on three. You ready? One, two, three. 
three. Yes, queen. All right, we all got it out. We got it out. It's done. It's out of our systems. There was like a a, a collective yes, queen at approximately <laughs> uh, one p.m. Eastern Standard Time across the United States. Uh, you know, it's going to be it's disgusting. It's it's vomit inducing. It'll all be over soon. I promise you guys. Um, after that's all um, sorted out in the in the pop in the popular culture um what 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 do we see her contributing to this presidency this is someone who infamously ethered biden on stage (laughs) for his crime bill uh you know participation in in the 90s and and among many other things and now they are embarking in their own buddy comedy uh for the next four years i i don't really see her doing much of anything i I, you know i i think uh when i say that i mean i don't think she is going to be some sort of like progressive force that kind of quietly uh, undermines the Biden administration or whatever. I, I think she's going to be, she will have a very public role because they want to set her up to be, you know, the next candidate within 2024 if Biden runs again, 2028, if he even, uh, you know, wins. But, um, so I, yeah, they'll, they'll give her... Long. He's not a young man. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> let me, let's be brutally honest about this. That's <laughs> oh, going to be, yeah, that, that will be, well, you know, there are people who are speculating he may not even make the first term. I, I think that he probably will. But whether he runs again, different question. Mm-hmm. But so I think they will give her a very public role. They'll give her like uh, prominent portfolios, you know, to, to sort of shore up her image and, you know, show her, hey, hold, she is really taking a very active role in this administration. The stuff that is improving your lives, you know, fingers crossed, is, is the result of her. Um, she's very I, good I at playing just, that role. We should say she is mm, right. Get, being being yeah. the kind of studious one, the studious person who's on the spot. You know, very uh, yeah. very ready and willing and, and and able to handle any job. Right. You know, uh, yeah. it's it's that performance, that very PMC kind of uh, upwardly mobile performance that she she excels at, like many of her, you know, many others in her social uh, you know circles. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that she will. Uh, be very loyal. Uh, there's no incentive for her to uh, rebel or, you know, kind of sink the Biden administration. You know, her, her career is, uh, in many ways, has been revived by him and and depends on him. So uh, she won't want to rock the boat. Um, and I think that's partly why she was picked. Uh, but um, you know, I, I could imagine maybe, uh, you know, of course, there's politics here going on all the time as well. So. You know, the VP is always kind of maneuvering to sort of get wins that they can kind of attribute to themselves so that eventually when they run, they can put this thing. So, I'm, I'm, you know, the, I would not be surprised if uh, her, her office does something to kind of give the idea that, hey, I was, you know, I was really pushing this administration to go more left. Um, oh, criminal justice so reform. Much. Quote, quote, criminal justice reform. I mean, I think right. that's going to be, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this is going to be the way that, you know, it seems to me the sen- establishment centrists in the party are going to try to incorporate the Black Lives Matter, rat- quote, radicalism. And a lot of it is very deeply felt and genuine in terms of how it's felt. I mean, I be- they, they are, their, their anger is righteous, but the political trajectories are, are, are very easily co-opted by the likes of Kamala and, and others. Uh, so th- I think that's probably one thing that we're going to see right, all, right out of the gate. Mm. But, you know, I mean, she also could end up being, um, depending on how the, the presidency of Biden goes, she could really be hobbled by it. Because if, if he does do sort of what everyone expects, which is cut these deals and, and uh, that are unpopular and, and be frustrated by McConnell and the Republicans and sort of fall short of really improving economic conditions to, to the point that that needs to happen if she runs in, in 2024 she will have the the stink of whatever bad thing the biden administration does um but the difference is uh, well uh, similar to how uh biden in this primary kind of had it was tied with with uh, some of the worst things what more popular things that obama did such as immigration um but you know the difference is that obama was a very popular, beloved president. And so in the end, it was very limited how much he could attack uh, Biden on that, um, even though he was a little bit. He, he escaped and he ultimately benefited more from that association with Obama. I don't think Biden is now or will be by the end of this presidency a, a figure nearly with the same kind of popularity and, and affection that Obama is remembered. And so I think, uh, unless he really does become the new FDR, but, you know, uh, let's, right. let's wait and see. But um, well, he's martyred in office. I mean, again, he's not a young man. 
This would be no. somebody who, uh, if he died in office, would would be given a, a hero's send off in the same way that we saw with John McCain. Mm. You know, people reaching across yeah, the aisle. But then she could very well benefit from that. You know, it's hard. It's hard. Definitely. Though so then she would be running to some extent on her record because right. she would take over, right? And right. so it's not. Um, it, not it's, she's not sort of having to answer for things that Biden did. But you know, I mean, yeah, these are. In, in many ways, you know, we're gaming out stuff that's years ahead. We don't even know at this point what Biden's cabinet is really going to look like, or you know, what who's going to actually even get through. Mm. There's so many unanswered questions that, um, you know, I think it is interesting to consider these possibilities and and to to in some ways be braced for them. But uh, we we I have to stress we don't know exactly what is going to happen. It's so so early. Right. I mean, at this point in in a presidency, I mean, it's it's you can't even begin this. To, you can't even begin to ask the questions, right? Because there's just a complete transformation of what, I mean, you know, candidates do versus what people in office do. Um, final question. And this is what you just sort of pushed away from. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean into it doubly hard here for this last one. Uh, many of us have been saying, you know, and, and very concerned with a Hillary Clinton administration that we all thought would come to pass in 2016, that she wouldn't fix a lot of the structural dilemmas and the structural crises that are faced by the American people. And it would only usher in a, a stronger and more, uh, perhaps efficacious, definitely efficacious version of this right-wing populism that we've been talking about. Um, you know, the likes of uh, you know, if, if uh, Tucker Carlson could could sort of um, hand handcraft his own personal protege in the political realm, who somebody who doesn't have the stink on him, you know, and who, who's a clean-cut dude or whatever, um, all the right credentials to to, to take the presidency. Um, you know, we, we all said that back in 2016. And I said it. I've, I've been saying it. It doesn't make me unique. A lot of people have been saying it. Uh, David Sirota, your now colleague here at, at Jacobin, uh, wrote a piece much more explicitly in that direction, um, saying that, you know, what we're going to see here under a Biden administration is a failure to address these structural um contradictions, these structural inadequacies of our system. And it's going to usher in, if we're not careful, a much stronger and efficacious version of Trump um, next time around. Um, you know, you just warned us that we shouldn't, uh, you know, look too far ahead in the future. A lot is, is up in the air in the coming months and years. Uh, but what's your wager with, with that respect? If, if you ask me to put money on it, uh, a, a ultimately failed Biden presidency is what I would bet. Um, but, uh, and, and, you know, as, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this, uh, I think Republicans are in a very good position because they, in some ways, Trump has shown in the path forward. You know, Trump managed to win over uh, significant numbers of, of voters of color, uh, black men and, and, and Latinos, uh, something that no one, Asian people, he, he increased his, his numbers with Muslims, which is remarkable, and, and LGBTQ people, um, all of which I think you know, really dispelled a lot of what, what people assumed would happen. Um, and, and including people on the left. Uh, and in some ways, he's, he's kind of shown a little bit of, of the path forward in some ways that that what that, that a, a president with an actual real right-wing populism could win over certain sections of that kind of Obama coalition. Um, however, that, that does not guarantee that that is what will happen. Um, at the same time, I mean, the Republicans are celebrating because they're saying, you know, we're the, work, we're the, the party of the workers and, and so on right. and so forth. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they'll be able to get someone who has the same sort of appeal as Trump. I mean, they, right. you know, uh, the Republican Party is a very ruthless and effective organization, but they're not infallible. Is there anybody else aside from Trump who's, who's going to continue carrying that banner? I mean, you saw Rick Santorum yeah. in the panel, the CNN panel, sort of saying like, well, what we've seen now is the GOP is the party of the working man. You see Tucker, of course, Carlson, of course, trumpeting that and many others. But who, who else aside from Trump's sort of uh, half-assed overtures to the working man only insofar as he's promising not to shut down the economy and lock them out of uh, wages for an indefinite period like Biden, uh, you know, un mm. did, you know, uh, seemed to be hinting towards. Uh, who else inside the party, inside the Republican Party, uh, is, is going to offer anything uh, from a populist perspective? I mean, I think you know they're they are hamstrung in the same similar way that the Democratic Party is hamstrung. They're hamstrung between mm. the ideology, their their base, and their donor class, mm. uh, just in, in slightly different directions. And I'm not sure the donor class will align uh, to to sort no. of uh, to to. Um, I don't. I just don't see the Sheldon Allisons of the world sort of permitting a right-wing populist agenda to go very far before yeah. they get clapped well, you know, back. <laughs> the, the, the question is, you know, what, what, who's going to really uh, win out to some extent and, and what do the, what does the Republican base actually care about? And I'm talking about the Republican base. I'm not talking about, you know, the people that voted for Trump. 
I'm talking about the people that are going to decide the primary because uh, it, do they actually care about the economic populist part of the Trump pitch in 2016, or did they like him because of the culture war stuff? The you know the and and the you know the owning the libs and and the kind of the xenophobia and, and racism. I, I don't think I think people sometimes re- make it a little bit reductive when they assume it was just sort of Trump's racism that that um, was what appealed to people. But with the Republican base, you know, it could be that that was what really appealed to them most and that someone who comes out and kind of makes this economically populist pitch doesn't prevail. Um, I don't know. But I, I think as, as as good of a position as the Republicans are to, uh, you know, triumph in the long term, you know, God forbid, but, but you know, they, they are, if they play the cards right, it is not guaranteed that they are going to play those cards right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that being said, I saw some modeling that said that if it was up to people under 30 in the U.S., uh, that the, uh, Biden would have won over 400 electoral college votes. And mm. so, I mean, it's just, you know, the, the generational shift there is, is pretty striking. However, we have seen uh, that dynamic play out quite poorly in the 60s generation and, 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 and others, you know, before it. So there's no guarantee that those those patterns will, will stick in the long term. But we, we'll, we'll have to uh, wrap it there and, you know, kind of wait and see, won't we? I mean, we're in a very uh, – this moment is highly um, – it's in flux, to put it lightly. The man is, is, is months away from taking the oath of office. Uh, we haven't heard anything about the cabinet, um, his transition team even at this point. But, uh, hey, if there's anybody who who can predict the, the present and the future based on the past, it would be you, my friend. Everybody should check out uh, your book. It's called Yesterday's Man, The Case Against Joe Biden. It's available at jacobinmag.com for 10 bucks plus shipping and handling. I'm sure you can get it over there at Amazon, but uh, I don't think Jeff Bezos no, does your money at this point. Uh, go to uh, Powell's or uh, Red Emma's out there in Baltimore. I think they've got an online store. Um, yeah, great book. Pleasure as always to have you on, Branko. Come back on and, uh, you know, you're going to be a, a highly sought after guy. So, you know, if, if you're not too big, if you're not too famous for DPS in the coming years, love to have you back on again, my friend. <laughs> always a pleasure. And once again, thanks to Branko Marchatich for joining us on today's program. If you liked what you heard, if you support it, if you think that uh, something like it is desperately and direly needed in the world in the face of a Biden-Harris administration in the next four years, I implore you, head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and smash that subscribe button at a level at which you are comfortable with today. We have got to continue growing this socialist media ecosystem. DPS has played a vital role in the past four years in that ecosystem, and we plan on doing the same. But we can't do it without support from listeners like you. So once again, patreon.com slash deadpundits, you know what to do. All right, patrons, we'll see you all for a B-side later this week. Everybody else... See you next week.